Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for singing. Thank you, Fred, and the choir, and everybody else, too. Here's what I want you to do for me real quickly, okay? Before we get started, I want you to turn to someone around you. It's just turn to someone that you, just around you, and just, just talk to them for a moment. Just ask them what kind of week they've had. Just talk to them for a moment. Get to know them. Come on. Just talk to them a little bit. <laughs> ask them. I will, not, I will not start preaching until I see a smile on everybody's face. Come on. Ask the person next to you, ask the person next to you, if there was one thing they would want you to pray for, what would that be? Just one thing they want you to pray for, what would it be? Ask them. Ask them right now. Come on. Ask them right next to you. What's one thing that you'd pray for for that person? What would that be? Does anybody not have anybody praying for them? Anybody asking that question? All right. reason why I do that is because I want you to understand something. You come in here every Sunday, and we are many people, but we are one body. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we are part of each other. We are. We have the same creator from the same dust, from the same spirit that is within us. He has made us a body. I want us to get to know each other better. I want us to spend some time because we need, the Bible says, this needs to be a house of prayer. And I'm going to talk about that today. For the next two weeks, I'm going to talk out of 2 Chronicles 7 and, and just what that whole passage means. Probably one of the most prominent passages in Scripture. We talk about spiritual awakening and all that. I'm going to give us what that means, that kind of thing. I'm going to start doing Wednesday night services on the 21st, and I'm going to, what I'm going to do for about three or four weeks is we're going to go through the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts and just look at some different principles of the early church and what those look like, and then we're going to step over and go through uh, my, one of my favorite books of the Bible, which is 1 John. I just love 1 John. And so we're going to walk through some principles and stuff there on Wednesday night and just be a part of that, and that's coming down the pipe too, but I, I've been preaching on prayer. Last week we talked about you know, letting the scalpel of the word cut into us and remove anything that is not of him. I'm not going to ask him of you this week, spent your time in the word, letting the word cut on you. Because we're going to, I've got this split into two weeks, and next week we're going to talk more about the word of God, about how that really fits into all of this. This whole concept of how do we really see spiritual revival happening? What does that happen, and what needs to happen in the church? But if we look at the context... If you got 2 Chronicles uh, 7, if you look at verse 11, it's where I'm going to begin reading. I know it says, yeah, for, uh, verse 11, it says, So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace, everything that had entered in Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. Now, I want you to catch that for a moment here. When he talks about a temple of sacrifice, what he's saying is, he's saying, he's saying you know, in, you can have a building, but if God doesn't show up, he doesn't receive our sacrifice. Does that make sense? You ever walked in a place and you just knew it was dead? You ever sensed that? You see, we, we are dependent upon God's Holy Spirit. In those days, 
God had to consecrate the temple. In other words, he had to prepare the temple to be a place so that the priest could come in and lay down the offering for the sins of the people of Israel. That was a big deal. That was it. That was part of the whole process of where we are because Jesus is the Lamb of God, the fulfillment of all of that. That was a precursor of what would come. But if God did not consecrate the temple, if God was not present, you know, the sacrifice not, would not be received. So he's saying, I made this as a place of sacrifice. And if I close the sky so that there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people. Well, that's fun, isn't it? So what's he saying here? He's talking about, he's speaking to the children of Israel. And I want to just read one real quick thing here. I just, this is just a little note I have. This promise that he gives that we're about to read is given specifically to the covenant, God's covenant people. And by itself, it should not be applied to other nations or even to the church. However, these verses reflect God's gracious nature. And on that basis, we may draw out a more fundamental principles that, are, that, a, that they are a person, regardless of race, geography, regardless of who they are, can come to the Lord with a repentant heart and find forgiveness. What I'm about to read is probably one of the most read passages of Scripture next to John 3.16 that we ever read. And I want you to understand, I want you to listen to the principles of it. Because what it does, it outlines what must happen for God's people to repent. If you, listen, we don't talk about repentance much anymore. Even in salvation, we talk about you got to believe. But you see, you cannot fully believe biblically unless you're willing to also repent. Because if you just believe and you're following, but, but you're not really turning away from your sin, you're just kind of dabbling in both worlds, the Bible says no. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, the Scripture says. There has to be this understanding of full repentance, of turning away, of recognizing in agreement with God of who we are. By the way, let me say this to you. We hate this, don't we? Come on. How many of us, the older we get, just don't like looking in the mirror anymore? You know what I'm talking about? I'm that way. Every time I look in the mirror, my, hair, my eyebrows are getting butt brushy, I'm bushier every time. My wife has been pulling out the, the, the gray hairs there, and heart. she said, if I pull out any more, you won't have any eyebrows. I mean, does it ever stop, guys? It's like they grow overnight. The hair in my ears, I can curl it up and braid it, you know what I mean? It's the truth. We just, we just look, we look in the mirror and we go, oh. Well, or how many of us walk by and we just kind of go, you know. Now, when you're young, though, man, in that mirror and going, when you're alone, you know what I mean. All you guys did this, you know. You did, you did this. Ladies, I promise you, your husband does this when he's alone now even. He's thinking to himself, what kind of a stud am I? I'm telling you, yeah. Guys, what, 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 what we're saying here is this. Repentance is the reaction, the biblical reaction, to looking into the spiritual mirror and seeing who we are based on the reflection of our God. And if we're not willing to look into the spiritual mirror, we will never fully understand repentance, nor will we fully understand who we are supposed to be in Christ. It will never happen. 
And so what he says here is this. He says, he says Solomon has completed everything he's going to do. And Solomon, this is what I'm going to do. Solomon, we're going to bless this temple. I want this place to be a place of sacrifice. And then he says, but, there, but if there comes a time that I close up the sky and you have famine, there comes a time when the food doesn't grow and you don't have enough. If there comes a time when, when there's plagues that you face or whatever it might be, you know, Solomon, you need to look to the people and recognize that the only reason why I would ever do that is because of sin in the camp. Sin. And so then he says this. He says, if that happens, if I close it up, here's the solution. He said, or I send pestilence among people. And my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from the evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven Forgive their sin and heal their land. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 15, my eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to prayer from this place. Wow. Let's, I'm going to come back to this in a minute. We're going to talk about the first half of that. Isn't that a beautiful thing, though? That my ears are attentive to the prayer from this place. Do, how many of y'all want God to hear your prayers? So what are we praying for? We want God to hear our prayers. What he's saying is, if we will do this, if we're willing to follow the principles of this, if we will purify ourselves and stay in a repentant state and stop dabbling back here, if we will turn away from that and turn to him, he says, I will make this place a place of prayer. Listen to me, church. The future of this church, or any church for that matter, will be determined by how we get on our face before God. Now let me say this to you. The biggest hindrance to prayer most often is the unforgiveness of, or sin. We talked about that last week. That's in our life. Now let me say this to you. A lot of us, the biggest issue of sin we face is our own pride we're afraid, we're literally afraid. Come on, you tell me if you've ever thought this way. We are afraid of actually, you know, spending time in prayer, coming before the, the, the church, laying down and, and, and weeping before God because we're afraid that if we actually do break down like that, people might think something's wrong with us. Do we ever get so prideful that, like that? Yes, we do. Because we would rather hold on to our pride than surrender ourselves to Christ. Look at me, guys. Listen to me carefully here. We must surrender fully, completely, totally to him. Look what he says the last part of this. He says, my eyes will now be upon this place for the prayer. This place is a place of prayer. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Do we not want this to be that place, yes or no? Do we not want our homes to be this kind of place, yes or no? Do we not want God's eyes and his heart to fill us up and walk with us everywhere we go, yes or no? That's who we want to be, right? So how do we do that? Bring up the next one, if you will, guys. How do we do this? How does this happen? We're going to talk today about personal requirements for God's people. 
Come straight from this passage. Bring the first one up. Here's the first, first one, okay? Go ahead and click it. First of all, we need to understand our heritage. Now, in this context, he's actually speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the Jews. But like I said, you can pull principles out of this. In the New Testament, we are called Christians. We carry the name of Christ. That's who we are. What is our heritage? Our heritage is we, we carry his name. We just read it a minute ago. We just read it a minute ago. He says that his name may be on this. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I preached and shared our testimony and I defined God's name for you when he stamped it right there, when, when Moses was about to go before, you know, before the, uh, uh, Pharaoh to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage? And what did he do? He said, what name shall I use in reference to you? And he stamped it, and we pronounce it Yahweh. It literally means I will always be what I have been. What is our heritage? Our heritage is God is stamped according to the New Testament. His name literally upon our heart. The phrase that is used in Hebrews literally means he has tattooed it there not to be removed. That's why in Ephesians it says we're sealed up to the day of redemption. We need to understand our heritage. If my people, my people. So I'm going to ask you right now. Let's draw that line right here. His people, not his people. His people, not his people. Which side are we going to stand on? Oh, I, I want to be on this side over here. But let me tell you something. You can't stand on this side and keep dabbling over here. Guys, we have played church for so long. We've been so worried about structures and everything else in church for so long. We've let that absolutely consume who we are. I've been in an interim of 20-something different churches probably. It's amazing to me that how many churches say we, we're a healthy church. Of course, we haven't baptized anybody in five years, but we're meeting budget. Do you think God cares if we meet budget? I have a feeling, and by the way, you can chart this if you want to. You can chart this if you want to. I've gone back and done it. You go back and you look at the highest time, the highest baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention will also be the highest giving in the Southern Baptist Convention. In 1995, 96, Indiana Baptist Convention had an 11% increase in baptisms. You know what we had? We had an 8% increase in our property program giving. They go together. Because when his people begin to grab hold of who they're supposed to be, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God is my father. Tell them that. Come on. Tell, turn your neighbor tell them. Tell your neighbor that. If you have nobody to tell, then you tell me. Just look at me and tell me, okay? Tell them. That's, that's your heritage. God is your father. What kind of God are we talking about? Are we talking about a God of stone? Yes or no? Are we talking about some mystical God way off out there? No. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Yahweh God, personal God, who showed up there with Moses in that burning bush right there in front of him, right? The same God who, who, when he ascends back into heaven, left us his Holy Spirit, his big H, big S, right? To fill our lives. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. What is your heritage? What is your heritage? Come on. We're, we're in Virginia. People love this, man. My, my, uh, um, my, my uh, mother-in-law, greatest mother-in-law in the world, in case she ever watches this, Video, I want to make sure that she understands that. 
Mary, you're the greatest mother-in-law a man could ever have. Okay, I, I love you dearly. She loves to, to study like family history and things like that. She loves to study that. She found out that my, she, she got a connection back with my girls to, the, to the, the Civil War and then to the Revolution, actually, where they could join the Daughters of the Revolution. Ooh. Which is, my girls thought it was kind of cool and all this kind of stuff like that. You know, they're walking around going, we can be, I mean, I'm, I'm like asking, okay, explain to me what the Revolution was. Uh, it was a war. <laughs> what happened there? Uh, we got our freedom. Okay, cool. Here's the point. We can get all excited about something like that, and we should. We look at our lineage. I'm thankful for the heritage my father and my grandfather left me on both sides. I have a great heritage where we grew up because of them. What kind of heritage do we have if we are his people? Grab hold of our heritage, guys. The world keeps beating you up and telling them we're nothing. And I'm telling you, no, no, no. He created you in his image. He did. I get students every year having all kinds of control issues and stuff like that because they, they look in the mirror. and they, My daughter had an eating disorder for seven years. She's absolutely gorgeous because when she looked in the mirror, the world said, that's not who you are. This is what you are. She let the world determine who she was. And I kept telling her, sweetheart, grab hold of your heritage. Not my heritage, but your heritage from God. He is your father. You can't beat that, guys. You can't. He says, if my people, look, bring the next one up. We need to understand our heritage. Number two, we need to understand our identity. Who are called by his name. His name. Look at the word there, who are called. The assumption is that if we are his people, that all of us are called by his name. Personally. To follow him. We carry his name. You carry his name. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what your friends say, you got his name. If he's in you, you carry his name. Because we make a big deal over whose tennis shoes we wear, right? Come on. The names are who are on it. They have big things when they, 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 they you know, they, they uh, uh, release them. I saw Stephen Curry's, uh, Stephen, Stephen Curry, right? Stephen Curry, that's it, right? I saw, he, he has, saw his tennis shoes the other day come out, and everybody was like, oh! We got to get them. Westbrook came out with his tennis shoes, and they're uglier than sin. Everybody was making fun of them. I mean, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, who cares? It's like we want to be like everybody else. We're called by his name. We moved to Texas. All the girls at my daughter's school all wore Doc Martens. So she wanted a pair of Doc Martens. Do you know how much Doc Martens cost? I mean, they got a payment plan for those shoes, guys. I'm not kidding you. I said, sweetheart, you're not having a pair of Doc Martens. You can raise the money yourself and pay for them if you want them. I want a pair. All right, honey, I tell you what. Your whole Christmas is Doc Martens. And you got to pay for the rest. That's how big it is. You know what happened to those Doc Martens? They got given away to the 
you know, goodwill. Because we like to have name brands on, right? We like to compete. And what he's saying is, if my people who are called to repent, to repentance by my name, who are called to honor me, my name, if they'll do this. And then he gives the prescription, number three. Here's how we do it. You need to understand godly repentance. How do we come to godly repentance? Number one, bring it up. What's he say? He says we must humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. I'm going to say this, be honest with you. If there's one thing we Baptists need is we need a revival of humility. We need to look across the aisles and realize there are hurting people sitting in these pews today. And we don't even know who they are. Now we're pretty comfortable, but we haven't even asked. Come on, guys. If, if my big toe's hurting, don't you think the rest of my body cares if I can't walk? We're supposed to be his body. We have to humble ourselves. That means I have to put you above me. You know, how many of y'all grew up in a church that did foot washing? Anybody? I did. I did. You know what my first foot washing service was? And I know the Bible doesn't command us to do that. But I think it's a pretty good deal. You know what my first foot washing? I was 13 years old. I was this little fat, fat kid, 13-year-old kid with pimples all over me. And, you know, I went to my first youth event. And we had a, we had a, 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 a weekend retreat. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, we take the Lord's Supper. And I know what's after that. I'd never done it before, that they would do, the Lord's, they would do foot washing. So as soon as they did the Lord's Supper, you got to see me. I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, like, I'm looking for the bathroom so I can go hide. I'm not going to wash anybody's feet. I am not a foot person. If feet are something you like, you're sick. You need to get help. <laughs> just just what it is, I'm telling you right now. If you got a fetish with feet, God can heal that. He can take care of that, all right? I know. But here's what I did. I, I started to get up, and my pastor walked over to me, and he, he said to me, he says, David, has anyone ever taught you how to wash feet? I said, no, sir. He said, I'm going to teach you. Now, he was the only man next, he was the one man next to my father that I probably respected almost as much as my dad. His name was Milton Worthington. That man knelt down in front of me. This man who preached with a powering, booming voice every Sunday. This man who exegeted scripture. This man that, that I, I looked up to knelt down in front of me and took my shoes off and washed my feet. We finished the Evangelism Is book a few years ago. I wrote a chapter in there that evangelism is learning to wash feet. I gave that story to Mitch and Milton. I sent him a copy of it and called him just to say, Milton, I've never got over it. Guys, would you do me a favor? Would everybody just step up, stand up for a second with me? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your right leg and put it up like this. And I want you to just wherever you are, I want you to act like you're stepping down. Step down, step down, okay? Now we're stepping off our high horse, Okay? You could be seated again. 
We have to humble ourselves. That means you matter more than me. You matter more than me. You matter more than me. It means our opinions do not rule and regulate everything. Our perceptions or even our priority, our, our, our preferences. It doesn't mean that church is not about anything else but God's glory. And a natural response to being in His presence is to be humble. I promise you, when you go to heaven one day, you're not going to walk up to the throne and say, Hey, God, how's it going, man? Good to see you. Read Revelation. John chapter 5, John is weeping before the throne. He can't even look up hardly. He's scared to death that no one would take the scroll to reveal our salvation. And he's weeping. That's how hopeless we are. What do we have that would make us where we would not be humble? And then what's the next one comes up? He says, humble yourselves and then pray. Guys, you can't pray when you're proud. The problem is we only pray for ourselves. A lot of us don't even know what prayer is. Prayer is, like I read earlier, it is the nourishment of our soul. It is what makes us grow. It is, it is the, the water you put on dry ground that makes it sprout. It is it's the food that a screaming baby needs that pours into his life and, and, and takes away the pain. It is the presence that we have to have. And we pray because we're broken. Because until the church gets broken, we're not going to see the movement of God like we can. We have to humble ourselves and pray and bring the next one up. Seek His face. Do you know in Scripture, anytime it talks about God's face, it's talking about His glory. In other words, to, to seek the light. In the, in, in, think about how often Scripture talks about light invading darkness and exposing and bringing life to all of that. To seek His face, you know, is, is a pursuit of our life. Even when Moses saw, he saw God, God's backside and all this, but, but the Bible says we will see Him face to face. But the idea and concept of that is that we seek His glory. That, that as we humble ourselves and pray that we are so consumed with Him, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, as Elijah prayed, as he prayed. We seek his face. We don't seek our desires. We seek his face. We seek his glory. How could God best be glorified in this place? How could God best be glorified in each of us? Finally, what does he say? Bring the last one. He says, and you turn from your evil ways. We seek his face. We turn to him to the light, the steps of repentance, humble, humility, brokenness, prayer, to cry out to God. Do you know how many times in Scripture it talks about, you know, crying out to Him and the emotion that it's talking about is literally becoming almost a, if you'll use, let me use this phrase, almost a blubbering idiot to, 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 to lay down so you were just totally lost in this. There is no dignity in that. But you see, guys, we're so worried about our, our dignity that we're not worried about, about coming close to Him. We're worried about us. It's not about our dignity. 
It's about His holiness. It's about His will. It's about His desire. It's about His people being on their face and turning and completely following Him. That's what it's about. So what do we learn today? What do we learn? Number one, make no mistake, God is serious about repentance of sin and prayer. It's very serious. We're going to do the second half of this passage next week. But let's stop right here. Make no mistake, God is very serious about repentance and sin, of sin and prayer. Number two, God is also personal. And he wants his people to succeed for his glory. He's not in a far off land just, you know, sending you emails. No, he lives within us. I don't care what your friends say. The greatest thing of life that you will ever find is when you come into a relationship with Christ that he permeates your soul. The reason why some of us are so miserable is we've played religion so long. We want to dabble in Christ without really knowing Christ. You see, I think he, he wants us, his people, to succeed for his glory. That's why he's given us his presence. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to consecrate this temple. I'm going to make it a place where I am glorified, where you are able to pray, where you are able to see my presence. Bring the next one up. Because of this, God is intimately and actively involved in the lives of his people. God's... Islam doesn't teach that God lives within you. Confucianism doesn't teach that. Hinduism doesn't teach that. I could name you hundreds of religions, but Christianity is not a religion. It is based upon an intimate relationship, like I talked about last week, the Word of God being a who that He lives in us. You know what that means? That means every word that spews out of our mouth should flow from the heart of God. Some of us are miserable and we keep trying to fix it. You can't fix it. We just simply need to surrender. God wants an intimate relationship to actively be involved in our lives. Next. Never forget that God's desire is that his name would be exalted among the nations and specifically in this community. God's desire is that his name would be exalted among the nations and beginning in Rocky Mount, in your school with your friends, in your workplace, wherever you go. Ultimately, just as Daniel talked about a few minutes ago, right before he's saying that and he mentioned Bojangles. Praise God for Bojangles. You know, but it doesn't matter if you're at Subway, if you're at school, if you're at the workplace. Is Jesus shining through you? Are you so connected to him that he is just, his light is just coming out of you? Look at the last one. Because ultimately God is inviting us to join him. In this great adventure. It begins now with prayer. And I didn't know that Daniel was going to sing that song. But surrender. This is the main thing. Guys the issue is not how the church runs. Because the church is not a how. The church is a who. The issue 
is that we are the church. And God's desire is for us to be glorified, I mean for him to be glorified through us. And God wants to draw us in that relationship of peace and rest. You can leave here if you want and go any direction you want, but you'll never find what you need. You can never medicate what you will find in Christ. You will not. And it all starts when we humble ourselves and we pray and we repent and turn to seek His face. We're going to talk about next week about what it means to heal our land. But you cannot heal the land without healing the body. We are only as strong and as healthy as every individual part. Is that not true? So this morning I ask you, I plead with you, will you take the challenge that God gave to Solomon and said, I want this place to be a place of prayer. Will we come to him with a contrite spirit and a humble spirit and putting our pride and our stuff aside and seek the nourishment of Christ? Will we come to him in prayer? Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to turn and follow him? This morning, if God's speaking to your heart, I want to invite you to come. I want to get ready for our invitation if we can, guys. Go ahead. I'm going to invite you to come. Whatever it takes. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, this morning, I want you to know that he wants an intimate, personal living relationship with you. And look at me. I want you to understand this. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. All that matters is where you're going. God wants that kind of relationship with you where he can walk with you. He can live through you because he's called my people, us. Some of you feel so disconnected in your family and other things. And, and, And I have students all the time tell me, Particularly, young women tell me, they'll come up in my class and they'll say, you know what? My father left when I was 10 years old. It wasn't until I was 14 and I was a mess that I met Jesus. And all of a sudden, he became my father. And he's the greatest father I've ever had. Because he meets the needs of my life. He touches me in ways that I cannot explain. He is within me and loves me. And he cares for me. And he guides me in those paths that glorify him. Please, church, I'm going to ask you from the back to the front to step out and come and kneel or find a place in this building to humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, that he may be glorified through us. That's where it starts. Will you stand with me right now? Father, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you, Father, right now, if you will please move among this body. Lord, I love you, and I believe this church loves each other. But I also believe there are people in the church that are hurting. That they, they, they feel a sense of just a lot of things, Lord. And you've told us all who are weak and heavy laden to come unto you, and you will give us rest. Father, we, we don't want any part of the church body to hurt. We want to to help heal.
So God, I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would move across this church body today. And as you spoke to Solomon then and told him, in those times when pestilence came to their nation, if the people would simply pray, seek your face, honor you who is within us, that you would heal us. God, our nation is a mess. Our world is a mess. We don't have to look far to see it. So God, I ask in Jesus' name that we would begin to be your body collectively, individually, to come and to pray, to lay ourselves before you. Break us, God, that we may repent and walk with you. And may you be all that we see. Your face, your glory, may that be all that we seek. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. You come this morning. Come on, right now. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Speak that my soul may hear. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Come every doubt and fear. like to see him move among your home. Come on, any of us had a difficult week? Let's be honest here for a moment. Any of us need more time in prayer? Yeah. Guys, our, our relationship with Christ is just that. It's a relationship. Don't ever let just coming to church be the fulfillment. That was not it. Walking to a building, that's not it. It's relationship with Him. He's given us that prescription. He's saying, if I ever bring pestilence on your land, if I ever allow this to happen, here's what you do. You humble yourself, pray, you seek my face. You turn from your wicked ways, in other words, repent. Come on, how many of us would agree that our nation is in a mess? Would you say Amen. How can we see that happen? Our schools, our nation, our communities, how can we see that change? It starts when God's people get serious and this becomes a place of prayer. God will not turn away if we will honestly seek Him, I promise you. He won't.
I'm going to ask you to go across and grab someone's hand. And when you do, turn to the person next to you that you just grabbed their hand and just say, I want you to know Jesus loves you. Tell them that. Come on. And then tell them this. Say, we as a church care for you. Tell them. Come on. We do care for you. Your assignment today after we get pray is to go find about five or six people and give them a hug if you can. Guys, we got an amazing church. We really do. We got a great church body. We got a great group of folks. We really do. I want to see this. I'd love to see God spark in such a way that a fire would start right in this own community. Because the prayers of the people here are so hot, burning so bright. We'd see transformation take place. If you need to talk after the service, I'd be glad to talk with you. Whatever it may be, you let me know. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you right now, God, for this amazing church body called Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Lord, you have told us, you have given us a great heritage. You've given us your name. You've placed yourself within us as Christians. Your Holy Spirit is there. Not to be wasted or to be ignored, but to be put into active service for you. To go to battle for you, Father. In a world that desperately needs to see that, God, you are alive. We've got a young generation, Lord, that are hearing so many voices to tell them that, 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 that you know, this is all just made up. It really don't matter. I mean, it's just a big myth and all that. And Satan is whispering in their ears. God, we ask you to move. As you did in Wales years ago when you brought down fire. When Evan Roberts prayed for 11 years and you touched a youth group. And six months later, 100,000 people in that area came to know you. When your spirit was so strong in Acts chapter 5 that as Peter walked down the road, as people would come out and go under his shadow, they would be healed because your presence was so much there. Oh God, I pray that you will break us and remake us in your image. I pray you will take us, God, and give us a collective heart to seek after you. Lord, if we need to go home and repent and get alone in our closet, let us do that today. Thank you for this body, Father. Thank you for this church. God, touch us right now, Lord Jesus, as we leave. Let us never be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say what? Amen. Amen. Find about four or five people and give them a big hug, okay? God bless you.